you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, He was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler, who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring word to me that I too may come to worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. G'day everybody, how are we doing? Hey, before we continue further, why don't we put our hands together for the band who have served us well already this morning. Thanks team. Well, so good to have you all here with us today. Uh, If you are a regular, I'm glad you're here. And if you are visiting today with friends or family, thanks so much for having your family Christmas with us this morning. Uh, My name's Nick, and I get to be the lead pastor of this great church. And we're going to have a moment now where we uh, reflect on what we just had read out for us from this chapter 2 of the book of Matthew, which is a biography of the life, 
and, of, and death and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, and so if you do have a Bible, come with me there. If you don't have a Bible, a Christmas gift to you is before you leave, please head to the Connect Desk. We'd love for you to have a Bible. Uh, while we're going there, I'm going to pray for God's help uh, that we would listen to what He has to say. Uh, Almighty God, we thank You for this moment. We thank You for Christmas. And we thank You right now, particularly, that You're a God who has spoken. And so, Lord, make us a people who will listen. Come and show us who You are today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, historically, uh, if you keep up with the world of cinema, you'll know that Christmas is around that time where the new blockbuster movies are released. And it was looking a little bit sketchy the last couple of years with lockdowns and all that. But this year, new blockbusters have been released. And my wife Jules and I were lucky enough a couple of weeks ago to head to one of the latest for our wedding anniversary. We saw the movie June. Has anybody seen the movie June I know there's a 2021 version, there is also apparently a 1980s version, but for me, anything that happened before the late 80s did not really happen, Uh, and so this was new to me. June is set in the far distant future, some 8,000 years from now, Uh, and there's a lot of cool futuristic technologies in the movie, but for some reason it still sounds like the NBN has not rolled out to the rest of the galaxy, Uh, and we meet these characters in this movie, June, in the middle of an intergalactic empire uh, overseen by a number of, of different houses, and they kind of each have different planets that they steward. And there's the house of Atreides, which accepts the stewardship of the most dangerous, yet at the same time most well-resourced planet, Arrakis. And it soon turns out that, that this acceptance of this planet is setting up the story for an epic battle. And amidst all the uh, weirdly futuristic names like Atreides and Arrakis, the main character, his name in the story is Paul. Uh, The creative juices had stopped flowing when they came to his name. His name is Paul. And Paul Atreides is a special kid. He is trained in warfare and in political science. Even more importantly... He has prophetic dreams. He seems to have physical and kind of supernatural powers that have been passed down from his mother. And because of this mix, there are also hints in the story that Paul himself might just be the fulfillment of a prophecy. And so the movie rides what has become a a common plotline in cinema, this question, would this young kid be the chosen one? Is this child with so much supernatural ability and potential the special one, the Messiah who's going to come and protect and liberate the house of Atreides? As I was watching this, uh, two things struck me. The first thing was that it's a two and a half hour movie and we were watching in the recliner seats and I didn't fall asleep. Incredible. The second thing was that I felt like I'd, I'd watched it before because this blockbuster movie had the plotline that seemed to resonate with a whole lot of different blockbuster movies like Harry Potter and The Matrix and The Lord of the Rings. That idea of the single heroic leader and the question of of will they step in to what they need to be for us? Will they step in to the calling? Will they finally deal with evil? Will we find that leader who can lead us in righteousness, in wisdom and in honour? 
And that's an interest that it makes sense why it finds itself into books and, and, and cinema, because it's an interest that actually we as humans, all of us have. And especially we've been perhaps conscious of it the last couple of years as we're so conscious of how we've been led through the pandemic. We long for a leader whose interests aren't compromised, who understands where the world is at, who leads us with conviction, with direction and with compassion. Now in the lead up to Christmas, you may have picked up that we've been uh, looking at a series, a series of, of historical kings uh, particularly in some of the books of the Old Testament. And you can read about some of those kings in the, the genealogy of Jesus' life, because he was kind of stepping into the legacy that they left uh, in the chapter just before that we're looking at today in Matthew chapter 1. And so the last few weeks have been for our church a, a lesson in leadership. But today, we turn to the Christmas story, the very famous Christmas story, and we meet another king. In fact, we meet two kings. And we see what it's like to search for a king, what to do with that longing, what to do with that yearning for a king. And so we're going to turn our attention to these two kings that we meet here in Matthew chapter 2, and then see how this story might speak into our day today, and into this world that we have, and these longings that we have. So if you do have your Bibles, join me. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, the story starts, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king. And so Herod the king is the first king that we meet. He is known in history as Herod the Great. He was the king of Judea, which was the state that Jerusalem found itself in. And we know quite a lot about Herod the Great. We know that he reigned from 37 BC all the way through to 4 BC. And it's typically understood that Jesus was born in about 6 BC. He was appointed by the Romans and he was infamous for his ruthlessness. He built a lot of infrastructure, theatres, cities, palaces and fortresses, but at the same time, he tore down people, even the people who were most close to him. He murdered his wife, he murdered several of his children and some other relatives. And we get a sense of this violent streak in him in this story, because as the wise men are searching for Jesus, they come to him to ask him if he might know where they are and it says, when, king, king Her- king, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And so Herod hears of this special baby being born, and immediately he is troubled by this possibility that there might be someone else. There might be someone who is chosen, someone who is the Christ And that trouble later on in the story is exposed, and you perhaps famously know, as outright insecurity, because he brings the wise men in to make a deal with them, that when they find their special baby, they would tell him, because he wants to worship the child. But we learn that beyond this story, as the wise men actually kind of don't follow up on his request, that Herod exposes and expresses his murderous streak and his insecure attempts to protect his power. Because when they don't comply, he signs a, a blanket genocide, wanting all infant boys to be killed, to try to snuff out any prospect of him losing his power. Now, a man named Lord Acton once said, power corrupts, 
absolute power corrupts absolutely. And next to that saying, if there was a dictionary of sayings, we could have a picture of Herod the Great. Because his ability to deceive, to kill, to intimidate was unrestrained because he was in a position where his power was unrestrained. And so this first king that we're looking at, Herod the Great, it highlights for us the the, the evil streak that we can see in the human experience. We long for good leaders, and yet we know that any single leader that's going to rise into leadership is going to be hurt by their own character flaws, stained by their own character flaws. We bristle at his abuse of power, but we also know that we ourselves, we want to avoid the kind of pressures and temptations and unrestrained power that someone in his position would have, lest our own character flaws are exposed. And so we feel this tension, because intrinsically, we know in the human experience something that the Bible testifies to, and that is that we are all, by nature, corrupted. Our hearts are prone to use power and to use it coercively. Someone who felt the destruction of this kind of leadership was a man named Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who spent time as a prisoner in a communist Soviet prison camp. And in reflecting on his experience, he writes about how he went into these camps assuming that it was just the communists who were the evil ones. I mean, they're the ones who were putting these people in camps. But then after he'd been there for a time, he reflected and wrote, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? And so we scoff at this first king, Herod the Great, insecure, murderous. But there is a little bit of Herod in all of our hearts. I see it exposed in me in all the ways that I am self-serving or insecure. And in the last 12 months, that has been exposed again. You know, when we were in lockdown, I was very annoyed that my freedoms were being curtailed, that I could not travel five kilometers from my house, get in the car and go for a drive. Now, I'm still frustrated and annoyed because when I decide to go in the car, everybody else does too, despite me. And I get frustrated and annoyed by the amount of people on the roads. And if only they would get out of my way so that I could get back to what I want to do. In lockdown, I got frustrated and annoyed that I couldn't go to 24-hour Kmart. It's meant to be 24 hours. What's going on? Now I get frustrated and annoyed when I go to 24-hour Kmart and everybody else has gone too. There's no stock left. Or the line to pay for what you want takes ages. And so the common denominator in my frustration is not my external circumstances, because they are always changing, but my heart, which in whatever circumstances can be exposed as self-serving, insecure, and have the seeds of, of anger that we see even here in Herod. And so this is the first king that we meet in this passage, a grim picture of Herod the Great. Let's look at the second king in the story, because the wise men came, and right up front, we heard in in verse 2, they asked, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And so we meet Jesus, the baby. And so in the midst of the reign of coercive power over Judea, the hands of Herod, another king is born into the world. And prior to this moment, we, we should know that there's something particularly special uh, about this 
boy, his being called king of the Jews doesn't come out of nowhere because prior to him being born, an angel had appeared to Mary, his mother. And that angel had said in another biography about Jesus, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, when Mary was was told those words by an angel, those words would have seemed completely ridiculous. Not just that they were coming from an angel, but the environment in which she found herself was the complete opposite of what we would expect for a king. No palace, no political connections, no property, no large pool of funds, no power. And yet, we read in this passage that this birth had been prophesied. And so when Herod inquired about where this Messiah was to be born, of the the chief priests and the scribes, they tell him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. That's right here in Bethlehem, where Jesus makes his first cries in a barnyard out the back little baby Jesus the king was born and so as Herod sat insecure on his throne in his palace Jesus is there crying out from a very powerless little feeding trough as Herod plotted to protect his power Jesus here is God in the flesh not counting power as something for him to hold on to. And yet we see that actually in this story, Jesus himself, the baby, has far more power even in his baby form than Herod as the king. But he doesn't have coercive power. He has creative power. Because we read about the very creation that he was involved in speaking into existence, bending itself around this baby. And a star moving into place above where Jesus was born. And so here is Jesus who embodies all the creative power of the universe, God himself in the flesh. And yet we find him in a feeding trough. We find him embracing the humility of obscurity. His power is all there. And yet it is wrapped in swaddling cloth. Later in his life, Jesus would later say that he came not to be served, but to serve and to even give his life as a ransom for many. And so that God's appointed leader would come in obscurity was actually the point. He was obscure and lonely in his birth. He remained homeless and misunderstood most of his life and then he died a death upon a cross in between two criminals. And that's kind of the point. Because Jesus was coming to subvert all the ways that humans prioritize power. He was coming so that he could be something different than us, for us. And so Jesus entered into the world to show up and to save us from the very thing that in this story was trying to crush him. The very thing that in our day today tries to ignore him our sin and our corruption. 
And then Jesus grew up and went on to live a perfect life. And then to die a gruesome death. Yet he came to die. He came to serve. He came to lay his life down so that we might be able to have his death be seen as our death. His life seen as our life. And so here we have a leader who knows us. Indeed, he was involved in creating us. He so sees our corruption. He knows the, kind of, the secret plotting of our hearts, and yet he's come to serve us, to save us, and to sacrifice himself for us. And so this leads us to consider, in our own times, the wise way to find a king, or the wise way to search for a leader. The wise way to look for someone to put our hope in. In this story, we meet two kings. Herod, the powerful one who is insecure and murderous. And Jesus, the baby who created the world and yet was murdered by it. And in between these two kings, in this story you will have heard, is headlined by these wise men. They've come from the east, likely from around Babylon. And they've come on a search. They're like us, they're they're yearning for a leader. Like us, they're they're looking for the chosen one. Like us, they're looking for someone whom they can give gifts to, whom they can offer their lives to. Someone who is worthy of the title of king. And we read about what happened when they found this king, because Herod had tried to kind of set up the system where they would come and tell him after they found the baby. And it says this in verse 9, After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. And so these wise men, they actually show us wisdom. These wise men show us a wise way. They had a choice to make. Would they sidle up to the power of the day? Would they sidle up to, to the king in his, in his pomp, in his riches, on his throne? Or would they instead press on to pursue the baby? Would they press in to what was going wrong in the world? Would they press into the coercive power being misused to prop up insecurity? Would they make peace with the corruption of the world, indeed even the corruption that they, I'm sure, will have experienced in their own hearts? Or would they look for the one who could fill them with joy? Would they look for the one in obscurity, the one in humility, whom they could lay before in worship. And we see what they chose. Because they fell out by this time, the the infant Jesus' feet, and they worshipped him. And their example of the choice that they made highlights to us that not only is it Herod the Great who has power, not only is it Jesus who has power, but we too have power. See, the Bible frames our corruption as having rejected the loving reign of God and instead set ourselves up as the kings of our own lives. We have a choice. We have a choice to set ourselves up as king and we have a choice to lay down that kingship. 
we have the power and the responsibility to respond to Jesus. And Jesus has come into the world. And the Christmas story and the message of Him coming into the world leaves us in a predicament, or it leaves us with a, a choice to make. How will we respond to this King? How will we respond to this Jesus? We can sidle up to the power of this world. We can grow comfortable with exercising our own autonomy and being our own king, holding on to our crowns. We can make peace with the fact that we are at war with our Creator if we do not honour and worship Him. Or we can lay down our crowns. We can receive the gift of life, of peace, of forgiveness and righteousness from Jesus and offer our lives as a gift to Him like these wise men. And so the question that Christmas asks us this year, will we walk in the self-serving power of Herod that continues to plague us, or will we see and submit to the loving, humble reign of Jesus who has come for us? 20th century pastor and theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer once wrote, who among us will celebrate Christmas correctly? Whoever finally lays down all power, all honour, all reputation, all vanity, all arrogance, all individualism beside the manger. Whoever remains lowly and lets God alone be high. Whoever looks at the child in the manger and sees the glory of God precisely in his lowliness. And so the Christmas story is about Jesus the King. And Jesus the King has come into our world to disrupt our corruption, to live the perfect life to die a sacrificial death and then to rise again in victory. And our world is infatuated with this search for a chosen one for a reason, that perhaps it's baked into our DNA to be looking for a chosen one, to be looking for a substitute, to be looking for someone to lead us with conviction, direction and compassion. It's baked in because we were made to know God. We were made to be reconciled with the one who made us. And here he is, friends. Jesus has come. He has been born into the world so that he might save the world. In Jesus, we have one who leads us in righteousness, in tenderness, with direction, with compassion. In Jesus, we have one who takes our place as guilty. And yet he powerfully defeats sin and death. For us, so we could be free. And so this Christmas, you're gonna be you're gonna be told what good news is. We see it in in the marketing throughout Christmas that Christmas is good news. And yet we're told that it's good news because we don't have to work. It's good news because we get to spend time with family. It's good news because of open borders and the ability to travel. It's good news because you get to have roast turkey. It's good news because you get to play cricket in the backyard and have a barbecue. It's good news because you can have that joy of sitting back with a beer and seeing the kids play in the sprinkler. But the Bible shows us that there is a joy more full and more real than what Christmas is wrapped in in our world. And it's what's offered to us every Christmas. The one who is receiving the gifts in this story wants to give us a gift, the gift of life abundant an eternal joy in Him. And so you can be forgiven 
You can be freed. You can be reconciled with the one who made you. You can be aligned with the meaning and purpose for which you've been struggling to comprehend what your life is about by coming to Jesus and by trusting in this King and asking this King to instead of you ruling your own life, asking this King to rule your life. So let me invite you to step into a life of that kind of joy, of that kind of fullness today. This is what Christians celebrate at Christmas. The King has come. Jesus has arrived and Jesus has brought with Him our hope, our joy, and our salvation. So in a moment, I'm going to pray. And if you are here and you are someone who, you know, this, this, this message or this idea of needing to be reconciled with God, reconciled to the one who made you, of needing to come under the reign of Jesus, if that, if that resonates with you, then I invite you to pray with me. I'm going to pray a very basic and very simple prayer of acknowledging this reality and asking for God to change it in our hearts. And so come and do that. Taking off the crown in our life, Christians call that repentance. Sitting under the crown of Jesus, Christians call that faith. And so we're going to ask that God might do that for all of us this Christmas. Please pray with me. Gracious God, thank you for the good news of Christmas. We thank you that you loved the world so much that you sent Jesus for us. Lord, forgive me, forgive us for the ways that we have ignored you rejected you, put ourselves in your place. And yet we thank you so much for Jesus who put himself in our place so that we could know you. Lord, we repent, we believe, help our unbelief. And so come and help us trust in you and walk with you in our lives. For Jesus' sake, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.